Hey everybody, welcome to the Did You Know Crypto Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the so-called toxicity in Bitcoin and Twitter especially. But first, if you could do me a real big favor, go over to iTunes, leave a five-star and a written review. That is the biggest thing that you can do for me. If you want to do a few more other things, go over to supportmypodcast.com. That is supportmypodcast.com. And you can see all the different ways that you can help me out. And I'm actually going to be creating a supporting listeners, basically discount program. There's going to be discounts on things like Keep Keys, Trezor, hardware wallets, uh, Bitcoin merchandise, t-shirt, art, as well as some health food uh, or just health products and things like that that I prefer and that I use myself. And that's at supportmypodcast.com slash discounts. It's absolutely free. I don't sell your emails or anything like that. This is kind of getting on a list to let you know once we launch. And in the future, I will be charging for access to this as kind of just a basically a way for listeners and supporters to support me financially while also getting more value out of it than I'm actually, you know, uh, asking for. Uh, so basically my rule is going to be if I look at what people probably buy yearly, if they are kind of doing Bitcoin related kind of stuff, uh, as long as I'm delivering about five times that value, um, whatever that number is, is, is what I'll charge. So anyways, if you get in early, uh, there will be reduced fees or maybe even free uh, for everybody who, who starts, uh, starts on that early. Anyways, so let's get into the main topic of the day, or I should say the only topic of the day, which is toxicity in Bitcoin and Twitter. So this was brought on, I believe, by Matt Corallo blocking Samson Mao and making a basically a public pronouncement about the toxicity in the Twitterverse. And I'm not sure if that was necessarily the beginning of it, but when I kind of first became aware of what was going on and that kind of spurred a larger discussion. And this is mostly pretty much in the Bitcoin, Bitcoin maximalist communities that this was really a thing. Um, this was, I didn't really see spillover per se um, regarding, you know, other projects or anything like that, or maybe it's just because that's the circles that I run in uh, more often these days. But I think in general, Twitter is kind of what people call a toxic place, right? But I think any time that there's pseudonymous, the ability to pseudonymously comment on things, people tend to lean in that direction. That's very common. Uh, the more anonymous, the uh, more free people feel to say things that they normally wouldn't. Um, and I, I don't think that I, I disagree with the con with the concept that some people have that well, this is bringing you know this is you know making things worse. I don't think so. I think it exposes who people really are. I, I don't think that people who in their heart of hearts are good, kind people will become vicious. I don't like to use the word troll because I think that troll itself is a misused word. I think that troll is someone um, who's trying to accomplish something, but is not... Like they will piss people off and do all that kind of stuff, but they are doing it uh, for a reason. Um, they are they are doing so as a, some sort of, in a way, an art form versus just trying to be a jerk. And uh, so I don't like to, to, to use that term for people who really go out of their way to just say the worst, most awful things that you can imagine uh, to someone on, on the internet. And I think that has a lot to do 
with the fact that um, the, the, a lot of people are conditioned by society, and rightly so, that there's a code of conduct that you need to abide by to just function in it. And that is a good thing. And that is that is a good function that society and, and culture does. Because within different cultures, there's different rules that people are expected to abide by to be allowed, right? So when you see those videos of somebody who more than likely has some sort of mental illness and uh, is on a subway screaming and yelling, you see everybody move away from them, right? Versus someone who's having a quiet conversation with someone on the phone. You don't see everybody jump up and run away. So why is that? It's just sounds coming out of their mouth. Um, it's just movements of their body, just like you would be if you got up to stand up or if you um, decided to pick your phone out of your pocket and put it up to your ear and, and talk to someone who called you. Why are certain movements, certain sounds from our voices um, or from our mouths, uh, why, do, why do they elicit that response? Because they're... they're it, 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 I don't really want to get that deep, but when you think about it in, in the kind of a very, very basic way, it's like, obviously, there there are social norms that we all abide by, and, and we're all expected to, and that, that is a, like I said, a good thing. So, a lot of people, I think, for a lot of different reasons, whether they were treated unfairly, or picked on, bullied, whatever it may be, um, have this pent-up rage where they like to take it out where they can, uh, and with pseudonymous or anonymous identities, they are able to do that. So I think it's a lot of just broken people. And I don't think that there's any way to fix that. I think this is the way I think how things will be. And I don't think this concept of taking away people's anonymity or ability to be anonymous is is some sort of fix. Because it doesn't fix what led to those people being that way in the first place. Um, some people may be born with some sort of mental illness that leads them to be that way anyways, but I think the vast majority of people are, are created, um, when, when they act that way. But anyways, moving back out to the macro view of, of, of kind of talking about Twitter is that within, uh, moving within Bitcoin, um, especially within the crypto space as it's called, uh, I think that, well, what's, what's focused specifically on Bitcoin Bitcoin is more than just a piece of software. Uh, I think if you haven't figured that out yet, um, if you stay in this long enough, you will figure you, you you will find that truth. Is that this? If you think of and this is an insight that Vin Armani gave me is that if you think of Bitcoin as religion, a lot of this stuff makes a lot more sense. The way that people act, the way that people uh, become so pa you know passionate about this, the way they um, decide to exclude. Um, punish others for not towing a line, right? It's very similar to what a religion would do. And if we look back at why is that is there's a couple reasons. Uh, I think that if you look at the kind of larger social political context of where we've been moving since basically the enlightenment, um, since the enlightenment or so-called enlightenment and even digress even further, I should call my podcast, I digress. Uh, but if you actually, what they call the Dark Ages really wasn't um, at all. Uh, there, there was a lot of writing. There was a lot of consolidation of, of knowledge. And they called it the Dark Ages, but it was, uh, and, and to doing so because they want to discredit um, the periods of, of when religiosity was, was uh, at, at a higher peak. But it was during this time that monks, not, you know, 
secular scholars, but monks, um, a lot of them Irish actually, were saving a lot of the knowledge that had been lost uh, or had been left over from the from the Romans. And it was not, you know, the way that they teach it in a lot of high schools, they act as though, well, you know, the Roman, um, you know, pe- secular paganist, uh, sophist, um, uh, you know, uh, empire fell and then Christianity took over and then, you know, people just lived in these dark ages, right? Until the, the, the Enlightenment when we rediscovered, you know, Greco-Roman thought. And, and in some ways that, that is true, um, that, that there was a lot of uh, Greco-Roman thought that was, that was brought back into kind of uh, the mainstream um, after the Enlightenment, uh, for better or worse. But it was not as if in the way that they, they make it sound like is that there was some sort of like effort to, you know, burn all these books and get rid of this knowledge because it didn't matter. Uh, it, and there were lines of thought within uh, the church that did think that there's no reason why do why do we need to study this or advance in that way if our main goal is to get to heaven and within that uh, specific line of thinking that does make that makes sense. But overall, on the macro view, this is absolutely not the the um, not the not the case. And in fact, the Enlightenment would not have been possible without uh, monks and the church. They were the ones who saved all that knowledge. So. Uh, but but since the Enlightenment, there's been a gradual diminishing of of religion, kind of basically rel- religiosity and faith, right within within the uh, Western world, um, and definitely within the last uh, hundred to hundred fifty years, and in, traditionally within you know the the post Christian or uh, within the the post-pagan Christian uh, European world, or even within the pagan, I guess you could say as well, is that uh, there were institutions that were mainly religious, uh, that people in that local society uh, basically built themselves around, right? You had church services, festivals throughout the year um, uh, that would bring the community together, gave them common sense, common purpose, a lot of, you know, things relating to harvest, um, and and times of abundance and and times of of scarcity, and this sort of belief and and uh, common belief and and common purpose uh, focused around a uh, faith uh, brought people that sense of community that has been one hundred percent necessary to human development and part of our evolution. If you humans were not islands unto themselves. There were people that traveled alone, but they're always part of a community, part of society. And that's how humanity has advanced and gotten to the point that we live at now. With the loss of religiosity in society, now you see people start to look for that elsewhere. That's why we see veganism. That's why we see, you know, CrossFit. I mean, there, there's no rational reason that just a basically a workout routine with people that happen to be there at the same time would end up overtaking someone's life, right? To the extent, same thing with veganism. You're just choosing to not eat meat, right? But it becomes this evangelical sort of, where you have to, I mean, it's a very evangelical sort of outlook. You see that also in the political sphere. Um, With the waning of the religious right, you start to see the evangelical left um, start to rear its head. And that is very much indicative of, the, of, of a faith, right? 
you have very clear dogma that if you do not abide by, uh, do not um, constantly say that you believe in, you will be cast out. And not only cast out, you will be, uh, your voice will be, you know, silenced. You've committed a sin, right? The the sin of not believing that, you know, this or this or that, whatever. I don't want to get into the political side of that, but like, you know, you will be shunned from the group. And so people are searching for um, something to latch latch onto, and, and Bitcoin is no different. Um, and this is not a bad thing. Uh, so this is one of the reasons that, that I say that, you know, if you look at Bitcoin as a religion or why I believe as, as um, uh, since Vin kind of explained that to me, that's why I believe that this makes a lot more sense. Because of this shift in society, this shift um, as, as we've started to move more towards um, a secularized, right? People are looking for that community, right? And Bitcoin does offer that. But also, if you look at it as Bitcoin as a social movement as well, it's not just technology. There's a reason people don't get excited over the new, uh, well, I was going to say, you know, Windows 10, but, you know, things like Apple and stuff, you do see people who are somewhat zealous about uh about Apple, but, but anyways, like, you know, you know, something like, uh, let me look on my, on my keyboard or uh, I, I guess Chrome, right? Chrome browser or, or Google, right? No, nobody's like, there, there are fans of Google and stuff like that, but there's not a lot of, like, there's not a social movement, right? Of that, that you would see the same way that you do with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a social movement and without zealotry, without uh, rigid ideology, Bitcoin would not be where it's at today, right? The concept that it can't adapt is is ridiculous as well, and and that's one of the reasons that I'm uh, I, I have some issues with 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 the maximalist ideal um, is because when you start to get when you get really rigid, that's when you end up with something like Bitcoin SV, where it's zero point one zero, and that is it, the most purest form of the faith there is, I guess, and I, but I also recognize that without zealots, without people who are constantly keeping others in check for their purity, Bitcoin would not have survived. If it was merely just, you know, something that people kind of worked on, was like, oh, this is kind of neat, and then moved on, that's it. But it is the zeal, it is the, it is the religiosity that keeps people here. And while you see people having been working on it for four or five, six years, or whatever it may be. So... I don't necessarily think that the so-called toxicity is a bug, um, as as we like to say in in Bitcoin. I don't I, I I don't think that that it's a bug. It's just a part of the program. It's a feature. And I think that the sooner people realize that, the sooner that once they realize that. This is a is a matter of faith for a lot of people. The easier it is to understand them and to interact with them, right? So in some cases, you may not be able to interact with somebody who's a very zealotrous, uh, zealotrous, is that even the right uh, right word? Someone who's a, who's a zealot for, say, a specific faith, you know which topics to avoid if you don't want to get into a debate and, and talk at length about something. And if you decide to go down that path, you know that you are going to be drawn into that sort of thing. What I think a lot of people 
in this space who who kind of came from outside that were either you know journalists or writers for for tech or came from well I worked in software development for for Microsoft for 15 years or whatever and now it's bitcoin things kind of neat when they come into this space they think oh we're just talking about software we're just talking about this like I don't understand why people get so wound up and there's a period of my of time where I also thought the same thing like why do people get so wound up let's just be all be friends but if we'll all be friends Bitcoin would have been dead before any of us any of us would have heard about it. The meme of Bitcoin draws people in to have very polarized, very strong feelings and to develop a zeal. If it didn't, it would be dead. And some people's polarized opinions, some people's zeal was the Bitcoin meme of cheap Tran- uh, transactions through uh, ever-increasing blocks that would make it a daily spender. And some people's Bitcoin meme for them was the concept of store of value. That second layer, Lightning and other you know sidechains or whatever w- would offer that transaction. But we needed store of value and, and, and Bitcoin as a digital gold first. From there, we've also seen uh, seen other memes emerge. We've seen people emerge with this concept of the world computer that's going to run every single program and decentralized app in the world, which is the, the very the, the interesting thing is that the Bitcoin uh, meme of decentralized applications that developed into the Ethereum meme is now basically 180 back to its genesis and is now basically... Uh, they're trying to to become the Bitcoin meme of store of value. This is, uh, once again, another digression, but this 180 that I've seen with the Ethereum community of, you know, I, I remember when I first heard about Ethereum um, and another big financial mistake, I remember hearing about it in like 2014 or whatever it was when it was kind of first proposed and they're not ICO, but ICO um, was, was proposed. And I didn't really get it. And, and, um, I wasn't smart enough to, but, but, you know, then later again in 2017, when it really took off, it was all about decentralized applications. It's all about dApps. It's all about dApps. It's all about dApps. And now it's, well, die or whatever is going to be used as, as the currency on Ethereum and Ethereum itself is just going to be a store of value like gold as some sort of world financial computer. It's like this very weird transition, but I guess it, it you know, they, they have to, I guess at this point, but, but anyways, um, so I'm not saying that I'm perfect and that, um, I don't get riled up in transactions actually, uh, or tra- transactions. That's funny. Um, in, in, uh, in, on Twitter talking with people and communicating, because I currently am in a semi-contentious, because it just blows my mind um, with some of these people from the SV community, where I get I get somewhat to an extent their point, and I get the zeal of the the meme of zero point one zero was perfect, and and that's all we need. Um, but I also I don't understand uh, uh, some of their commitment to certain individuals in the space in their in their community. But anyways. 
once you understand that for a lot of people it's 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 the exact same as a matter of faith this these conversations will make a lot more sense to you these uh, where, where people take things to be where people take things uh, interactions that they have with other people and take them um, to be like personal attacks upon themselves I, I think they miss the point I think that people who aren't very zealous you should you should be more wary of and that would include myself um, like I said I, I'm still wrestling with trying to exactly figure out where I think the best route for Bitcoin still is um, I, I definitely like I've said uh, in more recent episodes I'm, I'm definitely leaning more towards the concept of store value um, as a better uh, milestone to reach first and it's a better achieved one it seems to be the one that the the consensus of people on the network and in this whole space seems to have gone towards and and I, I like to work with the consensus and not get against it and also the concept of that peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash would mean transaction finality versus actual day-to-day -day spending but but that 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 kind of starts getting into hair splitting um that you should be wary of people who are not very zealous in this space because it means that their loyalties could shift very easily and what they say one day as being well this is the absolute truth can move very quickly now that's not to say that everybody's a zealot is going to be absolutely right right because there's differing opinions so one of these people uh, one of these groups all but one of these groups half of these groups whatever it may be have to be wrong right there's a good chunk there's a good majority that absolutely have to be wrong if not the vast majority and all but one have to be wrong right so the reason that I say that is that uh, not to immediately dismiss anything, because if that was true, then I'd be saying just dismiss everything I'm saying, is that you need to be more careful about who you listen to and who you trust. You can always trust that a zealot is telling you the truth when they are talking about their convictions. You can't trust that they are telling you the truth when it relates to a competitor, when it relates to something that is antithetical to their belief system, because it serves their interest. Uh, they're incentivized to make that competitor, to make that which is in competition to their belief system, to look to be in the worst light possible. Um, but you can always trust th their truthfulness when they speak about their belief in their belief. Right. Maybe not even I should walk that back. Maybe not trust a hundred percent their truthfulness when they are talking about that which they believe, because they will be incentivized to put that in the most uh, positive light. But when they are talking about what they believe in, you can pretty well take that to the bank. So I want to leave you with that. It's going to be another short episode this week, but uh, I want to leave you with that concept of don't get bothered when people react. aggressively right um i i've seen some i don't want to call out names but I, I saw a certain individual um that that was a journalist in 
for one of the larger publications talking about how, you know, we don't, you know, most of us don't know what it's like to be them, um, uh, that, that what it's like to be, you know, I guess afraid or whatever, because pe people talk really aggressive when they're trying to talk to them about different things in this space and whatever. And it's like, one, it's on online, um, two, like if you if you're going to be covering this space and you don't understand the concept that this is a religious zeal for people like then I, I i seriously think you need to kind of really do a lot more soul searching on this but uh on on how much how well you understand this space because if you were talking to let's just say a muslim fun fundamentalist or a christian fundamentalist you would not feel taken aback when they became very passionate about their belief. You may not agree with it, but you would understand, okay, I get it. You are a passionate believer. You are speaking passionately about that which you believe. But they, I think a lot of these people, especially this person I'm talking about, is, is going like, well, you know, it's just so aggressive. And you try to, you know, if you say anything against their, against their, their narrative, they get really angry. And it's like, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course, they've, they've committed time, um, probably money, uh, as well as just reputational risk to back a project. And a lot of these people have done so for going on. I mean, we're probably in the next two, three, four years for a lot of these people coming up on a decade of their life. So, of course, they're going to be uh, a very aggressive if you are um, going to be countering that narrative, if you're going to be countering... Um, and, and disincentivizing people to believing that which they've dedicated a large portion of their life to. And I think a lot of these people just don't understand. I want you to understand that and to not and to, to not get so worked up. And like I, I work on that myself. Um, of course, if, if someone's... I recently had to block uh, some folks just because um, people were making very inappropriate comments that were totally unrelated to Bitcoin. And that is just a no, no in my book. And I don't, I, I don't have any place for that. So um, anyways, uh, let's just leave it at that. And if you guys have any questions, please feel free to hit me up. Um, you can get me on Twitter. You can uh, Facebook, Instagram, I'm pretty much everywhere. Uh, once again, leave a review on iTunes. Go to supportmypodcast.com to find all the other ways you can help out. Shopping on Amazon, all that kind of good stuff. Shop through our link. Also go to supportmypodcast.com slash discounts and sign up absolutely for free. And it will be free uh, for the very foreseeable future for everybody to get discounts on all the different items that you normally would be buying in the Bitcoin space. And uh, oh, also one more thing, there, there's a ALS uh, donation campaign coming up that uh, I am supporting. It's Bitcoin for ALS. You can find the website BitcoinForALS.com. You can sign up for their mailing list. Uh, just to be notified of when it goes live. You can also go to, uh, on Twitter, it's Bitcoin at, or I should say, it's at Bitcoin, the number for ALS, and just follow them. And they're going to be doing very soon here in the future to kick off the campaign to honor Hal Finney's name. Hal was the, basically probably the second most important person in Bitcoin behind Satoshi Nakamoto. He was the first person to contact Satoshi on the mailing list. No one else was paying attention to this whole Bitcoin white paper at all. Hal was the first one who did so. He was the first one besides Satoshi to mine. He was the first one to receive a transaction on the Bitcoin um, network. 
Uh, he was also the first person to talk about it publicly. He tweeted out running Bitcoin. Uh, and that was the first public, basically, recognition that Bitcoin even exists. And there's so much more to Hal's story that uh, needs to be told. He was just an all-around great person. Um, he volunteered time to work on projects like PGP anonymously without letting anybody know, um, while also putting himself at risk of, of being put in jail for doing so, just because he believed in the cypherpunk ideals of a free, open and anonymous or pseudonymous and encrypted internet. He was a great, great man. And I think you should uh, support that campaign in his honor. Go to at Bitcoin, the number four ALS on Twitter or Bitcoin, Bitcoin, F-O-R-A-L-S.com on the web. So anyways, a little bit of a long outro, but uh, I wanted to thank you guys all for listening. Uh, I've been looking at the numbers. They've been, they've been doing well, still, still steady. Um, doing well at about 5,000 to 6,000 downloads a month, which is awesome. Please share with your friends. And uh, the best thing, you know, like the, the rating and reviewing on iTunes is really the, it, it, it bumps up all the al algorithms when people search for any kind of podcast and that, that helps immensely. So I'd really appreciate it. But just overall, thanks for listening. I really, really do appreciate you guys spending your time and, and uh, listening to my thoughts. So have a great night, day or afternoon, whatever you may be doing.